0: The Oracle Network.
1: Warning. The following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades old unsolved mysteries. These stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. Well, welcome back to another jury room aftermath on this episode. I'm excited because I've got a friend of mine who's been around how probably from the beginning. I have Kristen Seavey. She's the host of the Murder, She Told podcast. We actually have a case today that's actually near and dear to her. Uh, somebody from her past, a childhood friend, was murdered when she was younger in her, tw- in her teenage years. Late teenage, early 20s. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me. Hi.
1: Uh, first and foremost, why don't you tell people about your podcast, where they can find you at and all that good stuff?
0: Yeah. So my show is called Murder, She Told. It's on pretty much every platform that you can find podcasts. And I focus on cases that are local to me. So I'm from Maine and I tell Maine and New England. And I also tell ones from away as well. I'm trying to wiggle in some more away cases but like this case is in california which is where you are so um crossing the east coast to the west coast but yeah i focus mostly on new england and and small town stories that don't get told
1: do you mainly are you focusing straight just on cold cases or do you do like serial killer type cases that kind of stuff or is it just cold cases
0: I try to do a mix of cases. My first one was actually my hometown serial killer that w- one of the victims lived across the street from me. But I mean, she uh, she passed away, I don't know, but way before I was born. But it's just like fascinating um, to know that something like that happened here in this really tiny, tiny town. Um, so I do have serial killers, not like Ted Bundy. You won't find that on my show. Um, I do focus on a lot of cold cases. I try to mix in some solved cases because I know that that kind of gives people hope. But I think my heart kind of gravitates towards helping cold cases that haven't gotten a lot of attention. Um, so that's why a lot of cold cases tend to be on my show. And also, I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries, so I think that's probably why I gravitate towards it.
1: Right. So for a first-time listener, which episode would you suggest for them to start with?
0: Well, if you want a solved case and if you want a serial killer you've never heard of, my first two episodes are My Local Serial Killer, James Hicks. Sounds really like proud, like My Local Serial Killer, James Hicks. (laughs) But um, he's really an awful person. Um, And I really like for an unsolved case, Robert Joyle. Um, I worked with his brother and he just gave a really heartfelt interview that I was able to work with. And I feel like I really captured Rob's like personality and his story really well.
1: So real quick, before we keep going, for everybody out there, when you hear uh, a true crime podcaster or anybody in true crime say, oh, I'm excited to cover this or that, just understand we're not actually excited about the content. We're just excited to give that person a voice, right? For sure, Yeah. Um, Because I know there are times that I've had guests on and we're like, oh, we're so excited. And it's so you're like, wait, that's not something to be excited about. But you're excited about, you know what I mean, giving that whatever, whatever it is, a voice, you know.
0: For sure. Um, And I work with a lot of the families, too. So, you know, I have behind the scenes a couple of cases going. And when it finally gets to the point of being able to schedule and work on that story. um, It's just really rewarding. So.
1: Right. Is there anything that you're working on that you're excited about or that you want to share?
0: Yeah. um, This week I have uh, another cold case coming out. Well, I guess by the time this episode comes out, it'll already be out. But I worked with the family to tell the story of Alice Hawks um, and she is a local cold case in Maine. So.
1: We're going to be talking about the Humboldt Five, and obviously we have somebody who was involved in the Humboldt Five who is a childhood friend of yours. Uh, we have Danielle Bertolini. Tell me a little bit about your friendship. How did you know her? You know, that kind of stuff.
0: So I went to Newport Elementary School. It's in central Maine. Um, it's a very small town, and there's like clusters of towns that surround Newport. Um And Danielle started school, I want to say around like third grade. And I remember her being a part of my circle. Um, I remember going over to her house. And for some reason, I remember the Tigger movie and I remember cooking eggs in the morning. And she was a part of my circle where like she would be at birthday parties and stuff like that. So I remember tie dyeing t-shirts and watching Nightmare on Elm Street and being scared as all hell because we were on a house that was on Elm Street. Um, so just like, I don't know, silly kid stuff like that. And I remember her as somebody who, she, she had the biggest heart. Like she, she would get in trouble a lot. She was always being sent to the principal's office or in some sort of like elementary school timeout because she would be talking in class or she would talk back. Um, but usually it was in a situation where she was like trying to make somebody laugh or if somebody was being picked on, she would stand up for them, that kind of thing. Um, but she was in trouble a lot and her mom will admit that. Um, she was just fun. She was just a fun kid. Um, And then like, as the years went on, like we were in class together in middle school as well. I remember going to the space museum with her and the rest of the class. And when I was researching for my show, I found an article from the local paper, the Bangor Daily News, and she was quoted in it. And I was like, it was just an instant flood of like, oh, my God, I forgot about this until now. And now I have these memories coming back of when we went there. But, um, yeah, I would say mostly in, in elementary school, we were friends. And then as as we got older, it started to fade. Like, I I don't remember her from high school. When I got into high school, I was like in honors classes and every extracurricular class under the sun. Um and I kind of developed new friendships with people as well. So I don't really remember her from high school, but I, I definitely have fond memories as a child.
1: What was her her mom's feeling as you were doing your case? Like what was her mom's take on on what happened? Like what drove her across the United States?
0: So I I didn't really realize this. Um just because I didn't you know know her as a young adult, like once I graduated high school and moved on, I moved right to New York when I was um eighteen. And I didn't realize like the hardships that she went through until I heard Billy Joe talking about them. And I guess when Danielle was twenty, she got pregnant, and she wanted to keep her baby and Then she found out that he had Edwards syndrome, and that's just a rare condition, and it causes developmental delays because of an extra chromosome. And he also had a tumor on his brain and his kidney. So basically, the doctor said, like, he's not going to live. And I should probably trigger warning. If infant loss is uh, a trigger for you, then just, you know, be careful with this section. So basically, they had to. She went into labor. She wanted to try to have this baby, but the doctor pretty much had to take it out himself. Um, and you know, Daniel, that really changed Danielle. From my understanding, that that really put her in a dark place. And I mean, just hearing Billy Joe tell me this story, it's it's extremely traumatic, and you know. It's, Danielle turned to drugs as a coping mechanism um, to get through that. And I also think that she needed to get away from Maine. I think there was a lot of pain here for her. So she and she has family in Oregon. That's actually really quite close to where Humboldt County is um, in the California border. So she went to California just to try to start something new and, you know, connected with her father who lived over in Oregon there. And ended up in Humboldt County as as a, a weed picker. Right. If her Facebook profile is still live and it says under job, marijuana.
1: Right. So. And for those of you who don't know, you know, or for those of you who are outside of the state, Humboldt County is like one of the leading producers of marijuana, weed, the devil's lettuce, whatever you want to call it um, you know, (laughs) in California. So that's kind of where, you know, that's kind of one of the main, I guess, job opportunities that they have there would be, you know, in the marijuana industry.
0: Yeah. From my understanding, you know, it's a very, I mean, obviously the, the weed industry is very lucrative, but I think it's, It's a good job, especially if you're young and you're looking to make some good money. Um, But you know, it's also it comes with its share of risks as well.
1: Of course, and uh, that's—I remember when I was a kid. I grew up in Arizona, and uh, everybody's like, "I want that Humboldt County weed." You know what I mean? Like that's that was like the that was the thing. That's just the story as I'm thinking as I'm I'm listening to you talk. But yeah, definitely, there's some risk involved. Unfortunately, with um, you know, the black market, I guess, you know, and that's, we're getting to a point now to where, you know, it's not going to be, I think, as risky, because we're legalizing it, like states are slowly, you know, realizing how much money they can make on it.
0: For sure. And I, I don't know at what point it was legalized, but I don't, think when she was there it was legal yet
1: no because they just legalized it uh last year i think was it last year year before i don't remember but it's been it's only been like a year maybe or two
0: i know when i recorded my episode in march it was legal so but i but it is pretty recent
1: right yeah that's anyways we're getting way off topic (laughs) because that's another conversation right um so as you were doing your episode, what what did you find out about the Humboldt Five? How did they become linked together? Are there are there really that many similarities between them?
0: So, I mean, if you look at the dates, um, it starts with Jennifer Wilmer in the 90s. And, you know, your audience is already familiar with them because you cover them so well. Um, and then it goes all the way up to Danielle. Um, the only two that are definitely confirmed having been connected is Sheila, Sheila Franks and Danielle Bertolini. Um, the other three, I mean, there's a possibility that they could be connected, but there's nothing that's been confirmed um, or n- there's no concrete evidence like there is in Danielle and Sheila's case. Um, But they're all very similar. They're all young women who came to the area as like free spirits wanting to kind of start something new. And they just, I don't know, ended up meeting the wrong crowd or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, something happened to them. They have not been found. So originally they were called the Humboldt Missing Five. And because all five of them were missing. And as a footnote, there are a lot more cases than just them that are missing or murdered. Um, right. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen murder mountain, but that covers a couple of other cases that on uh, murder mountain, which is in Humboldt County. Um, so there's a, a missing persons advocate. Her name is Brenda Condon. Um, and I've spoken with her and she Gave them the name Humboldt Missing Five because of their similarities, and to also just help bring awareness to their case, cases. And I think, yeah, I don't there. I don't know if they're connected. There's a possibility that Karen Mitchell may have known the person of interest. That so there's there's a possibility that. Jim Jones, who is the public person of interest in Sheila Franks and Daniel Bertolini's case, may have known Karen Mitchell um, because he, he hung out at a junkyard, I believe, that was owned by her father, or I, I could be getting that wrong, <laughs> um, but it's possible that they knew each other. And so he might be connected to that, but it's also not confirmed um it's just a speculation
1: right so when you were working with the family and obviously you did you were you able to talk to the detective who was in charge of this case
0: yes so i i spoke with um detective brian taylor for danielle's case and i was really surprised at i mean he was lovely i i really enjoyed speaking with him um Not that I was surprised that he was lovely, but I was just. (laughs) I mean, I've I've tried to speak with law enforcement before on cold cases, and I've always gotten a no. And you know, I reached out to him, and he was like, "Yeah, I have to check with my supervisor." And they said yes, and I was like surprised about that. Um, You know, there was a lot that he couldn't talk about, and that's fine. Um, But just to have. His perspective, um, and I guess the law enforcement's perspective on it, was just really nice to balance it out because um, I think it's it's really easy to just <laughs> I was gonna say I think it's really easy to just shit on law enforcement in a cold case, but um, and I know that the ball has been dropped. I'm not saying that the law enforcement has done a wonderful job in this case, but it's nice to know that he seems to care like genuinely care about Danielle and about Sheila and about Billy Joe. And I know that their relationship started off really rocky. Both of them told me that. And then it kind of blossomed into a really solid working relationship.
1: Right. And what, what was his theories? Did he feel like it was maybe a serial killer? Did he feel like they were kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time? I mean, what was his temperature on that?
0: Um, he was really careful with his word choices, but my guess with what he said, um, is that what I think is not far off the mark, um, in that Danielle got caught up with something. She got caught up with the wrong crowd and Jim Jones happened to be there and, He didn't explicitly say, you know, Jim Jones is the guy. But from what I've kind of gathered and from him naming him as a public person of interest, you just aren't the last person to be seen with two different people who ended up missing and then were found murdered. Well, I guess we haven't proven that they've been murdered, but I mean, they we know for sure that
1: Sheila Franks and Danielle were murdered. uh, But, you know, the rest of them have not been confirmed yet.
0: Right. Well, and I guess technically, in their case, you can't prove that they were murdered, but I mean, they were murdered <laughs> right.
1: And that's the and that's the hard part with with law enforcement giving, you know um, interviews outside of you know the courtroom and such because they can't, you know, explicitly say that. And our legal system is the way that it is for a reason because everybody's innocent until proven guilty. But um, that's that when when there's smoke, there's fire, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just too strong of a coincidence. So my understanding of what he told me, like he named Jim Jones um, as their person of interest to me and publicly and talked about him a little bit. And there was a lot that he couldn't talk about. But, you know, he's presented his case to the D.A., which tells me that, you know, if he's presented a case, then he has enough evidence behind the scenes that I don't know about that he thinks this is a strong enough case that could go to trial. And right now it's in the DA's hands. Right. And what did he
1: say? Did he Was he able to talk to you about what the DA was willing to do? Or is that something that he's not allowed to talk about?
0: He didn't really go into that. Um, He couldn't really speak for the DA. He just basically said... I've presented my case and it's out of my hands. And in the meantime, I'm still, you know, trying to continue to find more stuff that's going to make this case stronger.
1: Right. Is it something that he has made almost like a mission of his or is it, you know, just another case for him?
0: I think that this one is a little bit personal. I think with the amount that he's worked with Billy Joe um, and Sheila's family that, it just becomes a little bit more personal, because um, he came onto this case when when he was just like as a patrolman um, taking a report, and then through the course of this case, he's moved up to detective. So now he's, you know, the detective on the case.
1: Right. What's her mom's feeling on it now? I mean, is she still is she advocating, or is she kind of just staying away from it?
0: Oh, no, she is a very strong advocate. Um, there was a rally in March and she flew out to California for that. And I mean, she just is being a loud squeaky wheel for her daughter. And I mean, I think that it works, you know, I think. And it's hard because I know that some people that's not them, that's not their personality, even though they want something to be done for their loved one they just don't have the the chutzpah to go out and you know be loud for for their loved one like that Um, but she has been on the front lines pushing and calling and sharing and trying to get something done um, so that this case doesn't get forgotten
1: so is there anything that the listeners can do to help you know, to help the case, to bring awareness of the case? I mean, what, what can the listeners do to help?
0: Well, I mean, just sharing the, you know, episodes or, you know, articles that are done by it, just helping other people discover this story, um, you know, like sharing your episode on it and just keeping it out there in the public, um, I think, does a lot more than people think it does. Um, There is such power in sharing on social media. Um, And then I also have a a petition that I created for Danielle and Sheila because no charges have been made and we're coming up on seven years now. I'm like, what's my math? 2020 was a year ago. It feels like a lifetime ago. But um, the last public update was in 2019. So that was three years ago. Roughly. (laughs) Roughly, right. Roughly. Which is Um, crazy to say. Right. So the last public update was in 2019, in September of 2019, when they confirmed that the femur that was found was Sheila Frank's. And there hasn't been anything since. And I know that in between that time, we've had a global pandemic, but, you know, small things. Right. Um, But there hasn't been any word or any, I guess, public progress or updates from the DA or from law enforcement um, in the case. And I think that we just want to feel like something's happening. Like, yes, we are interviewing people. Yes, we are going back and, you know, trying to see what the missing piece is, because right now Jim Jones is in jail. Um, I think he's going to be in jail for another two years, Um, and then he's eligible for parole not for murder that would be nice that
1: would be nice right
0: <laughs> um but like this is a great time to come forward because you are kind of safe i mean he might have cronies but like
1: right. you know
0: at least he's in jail and we know that nobody else is going to get hurt at his right. hands
1: uh, his hands yeah is it, i'm assuming it's something unrelated completely not even close to this case right?
0: Yeah, no. It's like um drugs, I think something with robbery maybe, um and I don't know, avoiding arrest, something. Or maybe an assault. He has a lot. He has a lot of really brutal assaults. Um I'm I'm not 100% sure what his charges are right now.
1: And was there any other, like, journalists or anything that have covered it that have helped move the needle yet? Or is that kind of not not on their radar yet?
0: Um, I mean, people have covered it. Like, Billy Jensen wrote about it in his book, Chase Darkness With Me. Um, and then he came on my second episode and talked about that a little bit. Um, Oxygen did an article about the petition um, and I think that helped bring some awareness to it and then there has been just like a lot of general coverage from like other podcasters or articles or um content like that and Murder Mountain on Netflix, I think probably was the biggest eye opener for people and it's a documentary, and yeah it's a little bit biased like all documentaries are are biased of one course. way or the other. But I think as far as like, oh, this is a thing. This is a place. I think it really brought a lot of awareness to it.
1: More or less like gave a picture to the, to the, gave a, a visualization to the picture to the head, right?
0: Yeah. And it's not about, you know, the the Humboldt Five, but I think it, it in turn, people are like, oh, I want to know more about the other people who... Have gone missing here, and then they find the Humboldt Five, and they find other people who have gone missing or have been murdered in the area.
1: Right. Well, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out because I am huge true crime slash documentary enthusiasm. So, or enthusiastic. Whatever the fuck word I'm trying to say right now. (laughs) Well, that's all. Well, I mean, it's crazy. Like to think that these women. That's what's hard with cold cases and unsolved cases is like you can't believe that it's gone out for this long and there hasn't been some sort of resolution to the case, you know?
0: Right. And, you know, what I guess what's positive about Danielle and Sheila's case is that there is a person of interest um, versus like Karen Mitchell and Christine Walters and Jennifer Wilmer, you know they're still missing and there is nobody to point to as a potential person who is responsible. Um, So at least that's kind of like a silver lining that like, if there is an arrest in Danielle and Sheila's case, that means so much to the other cases, even if their cases aren't resolved. It's like something is possible. Something can change. Um, And I think right now the family The families are just really fighting to not let it go on for that long. You know, like it's been seven years now. It's been since 2014. We don't want it to go on another three years where there's no charges made.
1: Right. Or any kind of movement or anything.
0: Right. Like it it needs to get closed. It needs to get solved. And there's an answer there. You just have to figure out the pieces to put the puzzle together and make it happen.
1: Right. And is this something that obviously you're going to continue advocating for? Do you have any plans on doing another episode or any more coverage on it?
0: Um, I will always advocate for it. Um, you know, I this one just feels really close now. Um, and I, I haven't covered the other cases. I haven't gone in depth with Sheila's case right now. Um, you know, like I, I talk about her in Danielle's case, but the the story is about Danielle just because of that personal connection. Um, I would like to cover the other ones a little bit more in depth to kind of give them, you know, a voice and make it like a a series or something um, just because they're all mentioned in that one episode. But I don't want them to be footnotes. You know, it's, it's tough because... You can only tell one story, and here we have five, um, if you're going to go like, you know, a two-part, in-depth episode. Um, so I will always advocate for it. I'm always trying to find ways that I can keep Danielle's voice out there, because I made a promise to Billy Joe that I would fight for Danielle, and I want to keep that promise. And... I just want to help keep her story out there and fresh because there's just so much content that comes in every day and there's new cases and it's hard. It's really hard.
1: Right. And that's the something that, and I, you and I didn't talk about this beforehand and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. I completely get it. But something recently in the media has now, I don't want to take away from Gabby's family And the pain that they're feeling, right? But I feel like the media has blown this case up. Why not why are they not doing that with every missing person? Or every young woman who's murdered or person, really anybody who's missing or murdered, why don't they do that with everybody? Why did this case in particular get so much attention? What's your take on that?
0: Well, I think that the circumstances around her case I think really caught on like I mean, at the time that it started getting picked up a lot more, you know, she was still missing, but the circumstances were just so interesting. And I think the biggest question of like, why, why would this happen? Like, why would you just drive across the country without your fiance and not tell anybody that she's not with you? Um, I think that those questions probably are what catapulted that into the media and I also don't think that it you know hurts that they have a YouTube channel where you can kind of like dissect different parts of their life. Um I think that for some reason that makes people interesting when they can like really dig for clues or I don't know some people speculate a little bit too much, right but, but I think that that's the reason why that kind of catapulted that story into the media, and now it's just. Trying to find this guy.
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's crazy. It's it's in my you know in my opinion, and I have a problem with people who are already speculating. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. the case isn't solved. They haven't even found Brian, and it's in my opinion right now it's just a shit show. And they are there's a lot of people out there who are capitalizing on that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I I don't like that at all. I. I mean, you see these newspaper articles that are just putting out any little scrap of information they can and making such a clickbait headline so that people click on it. And early on, I noticed that there were a lot of people just kind of jumping on the hashtag, I think, because it was really popular. And I'm like, but what are you contributing to the conversation other than sharing her story um, which is still very important. like there there is power in social sharing. But are you doing it for the right reason? That's my question. Like if you're just doing it because you want SEO for your podcast, that's not the right reason. Um, and you know, not to, I guess, like shit on other podcasters and and content creators, but I just a lot of it just felt really disingenuous and not to help the case. It was to help. Themselves,
1: right, and that's gross. That's the <clears throat> that's the downside to true crime, right? Obviously, like we, and I've gotten comments where they're like, "Well, you're doing the same thing," because I've I I hold this opinion, and that's fine. Like, if you think I'm doing the same thing, which in a sense I am, I am I fascinated by true crime. Absolutely, do I want to give victims a voice, one hundred percent? But I you also have to wait for the facts to come out, right? That's the point of trying to solve these cases and and being involved in true crime is you have to wait for all of the facts and not just go with the first thing you hear. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, that's just how misinformation gets shared really, really fast, especially if people are looking for this information. You know, somebody shares a photo that looks like you know a woman who might be gabby and then all of a sudden it's everywhere and people are saying oh my gosh she's found and then the family is like hey i've seen this photo you've sent it to me 500 times like i thank you for helping but like we've seen it and it's not her like it just but then there's people who think it's solved um it just it's a it's a blessing and a curse you know having so many people interested in helping. Um, but I think that the biggest thing is that people forget that these are real people. Um, I saw a poll in a group that really rubbed me the wrong way when she was still missing. And it was, do you think that Gabby is still alive? Yes or no? And I commented, I commented on it and I was like, just my opinion. But I think that speculating whether a missing person is alive or dead is just really, it just doesn't sit well with me. And I have to say something. And she was like, you know, I did. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend. Like if the mods think that it's a problem, then we'll take it down. And I'm like, but how can you not see why this is a problem? So I think that there's just a level of disconnect with with these stories that they're not just stories they're people's lives
1: and that's one of the things you always have to remember even as somebody who digests true crime is is you have to remember that this is their worst day of their lives like the people who are still around them their loved ones their brothers their sisters their moms their dads their aunts or uncles like this is their worst day of their lives
0: absolutely
1: you have to keep that in mind when telling the story you can't just do it for unfortunately clickbait like you can't do that
0: unfortunately people do because it's i mean it people click on headlines that they think are you know interesting and especially if they're interested in a case it's a blessing and a curse you know i i think too of like delphi back when james brian chadwell did I say is that right? Brian James it's either Brian James Chadwell or James Brian Chadwell but back when you know he was arrested for doing what he did to a child um people were just spreading like wildfire that he was involved with Delphi and and the police would never confirm that they were just like yeah we're looking into it we've got it but then people just jumped on that headline and people thought it was solved and I just, I'm just like, just let at at some point you just have to let the police do their job.
1: Well, Kristen, thanks for coming on. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your podcast at? um, Anything they can do to help this case, where they can find it at, and obviously I will post anything I need to in the show notes below. Uh, One thing to my listeners: please go sign the petition. Help, uh, help bring awareness to this case, uh, not just for Danielle, but for all of these missing victims, for everybody involved. I mean, we need to get some kind of closure for this.
0: Yeah. So the petition is 150 signatures away from my minimum goal, which is 1,000. So that would be fantastic um, if you just took a minute to do that. And you can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts. My show is Murder She Told. Um, you can also go to murdershetold.com and find it there.
1: And before we go, I have one more question for you. Do you mind answering? Sure. If you could be one sandwich condiment, what would you be and why?
0: Hmm, that's a good one. Um, let's see. I feel like mayo gets a bad rap. You know, it's just it's a little bit vanilla, but it's like a classic. Like it's it's a classy condiment, <laughs> <laughs> and I just I feel like vanilla's uh, vanilla vanilla mayo. <laughs> I feel like mayo is just A classic. And it goes with pretty much everything. And you can dress it up. You can make a Chipotle mayo (laughs) or, you know, I don't know, ketchup mayo. That's a thing. That Um,
1: shouldn't be a thing. There's some things (laughs) in the world that you can do that you just shouldn't do.
0: So, yeah, I think I'd be mayo.
1: (laughs) Well, you heard it here, folks. Christian would be mayo. Vanilla mayo, to be exact. <laughs> Vanilla um, mayo. Ew, that sounds terrible. That
0: sounds awful. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, Christian, thanks for coming on. I am so glad we got to sit down and talk about this. Um, yeah, let's let's sign this petition, guys, and get... Let's complete it. It's only 150 away. It takes two seconds. It it literally is like a 1% of the time that you're going to... While you're listening to this episode, you could be signing that petition.
0: Boom. There you go.
1: Thanks. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.